You are the sunshine and I am a candle. You are the mountain and I am a hill. You are the ocean and I am a river. Winding and swirling and never quite still. Winding and swirling and never quite still. You are the canyon and I am a crevice. You are the heavens and I am a star. You are the thunder and I am a whisper. Quietly longing to be where you are. Quietly longing to be where you are. You are a mighty God. Your deeds are so awesome. Mighty God. so mighty and worthy of praise you are 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 the sunshine and i am a candle you are the mountain and i am a hill you are the ocean and i am a river Winding and swirling and never quite still. Winding and swirling and never quite still. You are the canyon and I am a crevice. You are the heavens and I am a star. You are the thunder and I am a whisper. Quietly longing to be where you are. Quietly longing to be where you are. You are a mighty God, your deeds are so awesome. Mighty God, I stand amazed. You are a mighty God, I worship you only. You are so mighty and worthy of praise. 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 May I have a seat? All right. Preach the word. Man, that's exactly right. We're going to be looking... We're going to be looking at the Bible today in the book of Matthew chapter 5. If you want to open your Bible up there, we'll get there in just a minute. Before I do that, I want to say thank you to uh, Wyatt Sparks for doing a great job last week of carrying on our series that we're in. And he talked about uh, the Bride of Christ and that she is full of peace. And so thank you, Wyatt. I listened to that this week and was really blessed. And I thank, I'm thankful we've got so many gifted uh, speakers, ministers, preachers in our, in our church congregation. What a blessing that is for all of us. And speaking of that, uh, this Wednesday night, I've been invited to uh, speak in Lubbock, and it's kind of a fun, I'll just share a little quick fun family story. My daughter, of course, is 15, which means she's very embarrassed 
about me, okay? Now, that's just, that, that doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm cool, okay? I'm good. I mean, I, that's because that's, that's she's 15. That's her problem, all right? And uh, so, but here's the deal. I mean, I try not to rub it in too much to her, and I try to, you know, especially as a preacher, I don't want her to feel like the preacher's kid and always telling stories about her. So here I am telling stories while she's gone, all right? And uh, she's gone to encounter at, at Love of Christian University, and I got invited this year to go and speak as one of the uh, keynote speakers on Wednesday night at Lubbock Christian University for Encounter for that camp, and we didn't tell Raina. Isn't that awesome? So I'm hoping, I hope so much that she doesn't even look at the schedule this week, you know? She's just with her friend, she bops in, sits down, they're singing a few songs, and then they introduce the speaker and she's like... She's just going to like sink under a rock, you know. My dad is at a camp. So anyways, I'll, be, I'll look forward to telling you all about that. But I tell you that for the other reason, because this Wednesday night I won't be here, but we have our peak of the week meal here at the building. For those of you who disappeared when we were out other places, you can come back because we're going to be at the, at the building this week. Rhonda's going to cook some manicotti. And then Bobby Barnett, who is the pastor over at Grace Harvest Church, he's going to have a short family devotional for us. And so I know you're going to be greatly blessed by Bobby this Wednesday, and uh, so I will look forward to hearing about that as well, and being back with you guys next Sunday. Good and beautiful. This is the series that we're in. It's about the church. It's about the bride of Christ. And what we're trying to remember is this, is that we, the bride of Christ, are called to be like a bride. Good and beautiful. And that because of that, we get to join God in the work that he's doing in this world. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, okay, right at the end of the Bible, almost the last verse, Jesus says, he was, I want to remind you, don't forget, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I'll give to everyone according to what he's done. And then he says in verse 13, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we go, yeah, we know that. Jesus is coming back. Cool. That's, that's great. We know he's coming and we're excited about that. You skip down just a few verses to verse 17 in Revelation 22. And this is, this is amazing to me. I don't know, for years I just missed this. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. God says right at the end of the Bible, I'm coming back, the Spirit's going to be here to draw people, and guess who else gets to help? The bride. We get to help draw the world to the final wedding, to Jesus Christ, to join and be a part. Now, usually weddings are... They're great, right? I mean, most of the time. When we think of weddings, I mean, these are things we mark our calendar for. We make plans. Maybe even we go out and buy a new you know, shirt or, or a new suit. We get dressed up. We love. It's hugs and laughter and it's, and it's music and dancing and it's great food and drinks. And it's just a celebration of the love of this, this couple. And most of the time we love weddings, even if it's, even if it's somebody you don't know. I don't, I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but I, I kind of challenge you to think about this. Sometime when you're driving down the road, you're going down the road, and, and you, out of the corner of your eye over here in the park somewhere, you see some people and you look, and they're all dressed the same. And you're like, oh, it's a wedding. And there's like this good feeling inside, like, oh, cool. 
Those people are getting married. Yeah, that's neat. One time, several years ago, Amy and I and the kids, we were in Las Cruces and we'd gone down to Mesilla Valley, down to the old part of, of Las Cruces. And we were just eating at some places down there and looking around at different shops. And it was evening. We were going to our car and we were walking across the plaza. And as we walked across the plaza toward our car, right over there, there's this gazebo and there's lights and there's all these people that are up in the gazebo and they're all dressed and the bride had on this beautiful dress and, and, and the minister's up there and he's talking. And we stopped along with a bunch of other people. It was in public. It was right out in the square. So a bunch of us all just gathered around. We don't even know this couple. But we're there and we're listening. And I'm telling you, it, there's something about that that just draws you in. That This is good. Oh, this is a good thing. And, and I want to be a part of it. Not like I want to get up on stage. I don't want to be in weddings anymore, right? None of, I mean, all of us that are my age or older, you know, we don't want to be in a wedding. We've seen that, you know, and what a, what a mess that could be. We don't want to stand on stage, but we want to be a part in this way. This is how we want to be a part. We hear those words. And for me, I think, man, I want to go home and treat Amy that way. I want to do better at being that kind of husband that that minister just talked about. I want to reignite that love that I see between that couple right up there. It's like it draws us in and we want to be a part of that. And doesn't that make sense? That's why God would call us the bride. We draw people in to him with good and beautiful things about the church. Now, in order to represent beauty, almost without exception, every single wedding I've been to, what does the bride carry? She carries flowers. She carries flowers. Why would she do that? Why would she carry these beautiful, expensive... Yeah, you know, I was talking to sportsman because his daughter just got married last weekend. You know, this is an expensive little 15 minutes, right? Okay, that we're about to have to happen. And I, I got a 15-year-old daughter, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out maybe if I could sell Josh or something and get enough money or somehow... <laughs> Where I could get enough money to pay for that wedding that I know probably one of these days is going to come. And so it's expensive. Why would they carry these beautiful bouquets? Because that's exactly what they are. They're beautiful and they have this fragrance, that this kind of aroma that goes out. And it just kind of completes the good and beautiful bride. It represents all that that whole evening or that day represents when that bride and that groom say their vows to each other. But can you imagine this? Something maybe a little ridiculous. Can you imagine if you're at a wedding and everybody's here and all the bridesmaids and, and, and here comes the bride. She's dressed in a white dress. And the groom's up here and they're walking down the aisle. But the one thing that's just different and it's, and it's pretty significant is she's carrying a dead skunk. Or, or what if she was carrying her dirty laundry? Here she comes down carrying her dirty. Or, or what if she had like an old moldy piece of cheese stinky you know and she's just carrying it down the aisle or or what i mean let's just go with it i mean it's ridiculous enough already so what if what if she was what what is she carrying an axe like that i mean you want to get married to this lady here she comes down the aisle and she's got an axe or maybe she's wearing you know boxing gloves come on we're ready to to go at it here or i I don't know what do you say you know I, i can't even imagine who would have taken this picture you know you might be a redneck if but It's ridiculous to think that a bride would do something like that. And yet, the bride of Christ sometimes has held on to things that are not good 
sometimes has held on to things that stink. Sometimes we've held on to things that lack any beauty to attract others to Christ. Let's pray and then we'll read from Matthew 5. Lord, I just pray today that if any of us need to lay something down, then I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would not just listen to a sermon and say, wow, that was cool. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that if we're holding something that is not good and beautiful, that we would lay it down today. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. It's where we're going to be starting today. We're going to actually read quite a few scriptures, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable of the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, is going to be danger in, the, in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You're not going to get out until you've paid the last penny. Now normally when I preach from a text, I kind of will take these verses and then we'll break them down and we'll kind of, you know, look and see. We'll dissect some stuff and digest it and let it apply into our life. But I'm not going to do that today with this scripture. And I'm going to tell you, I have a very specific reason I'm not going to do it. Because I think when we do that with this scripture, we find ways to get out of it. We find loopholes. We find ways to split hairs and say, oh, there you go. See, I heard that in that sermon. And I don't have to go do that now. So I'm going to, I'm going to generalize. I'm, going to, I'm just going to give you a synopsis of those verses we just read. Here they are. Because I don't want to let you off the hook today. Not one single bit. So here they are. Some people are angry with each other. There's some feelings that have been hurt. There's some separation. And this is what the Bible says. Stop what you're doing now. And go work it out. Right this second. Or things are going to get worse and worse and worse in your life and the life of the people around you. I'm going to say it one more time. Just in case you weren't listening. People are hurt. There's pain, people are upset, there's separation in relationship. Stop what you're doing now, right this second, and go work it out. If you don't, things are going to get worse and worse and worse in your life and the life of the people around you. That is what that verse talks about. And nobody gets off the hook on that one. Nobody. We spent three weeks in the month of May talking about forgiveness and if, you, if you're struggling with forgiving somebody and you didn't hear those lessons, or even if you did hear them, I encourage you to go back on, on the website and listen to those again. It was in a series called 7 Times 70. Go back and listen to those about forgiveness. 
And I'm going to tell you one of the things that we talked about during that lesson that I think is so important, those three lessons, is this. Forgiveness is a one-player game. There's only one person in forgiveness, and that's you. You in your heart. Nobody else. It doesn't matter what the other person does. It doesn't matter if the other person died. It doesn't matter if the other person left or moved away. It doesn't matter if the other person keeps doing the same thing to you. You can forgive anybody. That's what the scriptures tell us. And it's a one-player game. But the word reconcile, which was in the text that we just read a moment ago, get up and go be reconciled to your brother. Reconcile is a different word than forgive. This is now a two-player game. Got to have two people to play this game. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Both people must be willing to move. Both people must be willing to compromise. Both people must be willing to rebuild what has been broken or willing to move the obstacles that are stopping the relationship from continuing. And I would have to say this. There probably are many different degrees of reconciliation. It's possible to reconcile with a person who's hurt you, but to set up some boundaries of trust, because trust has been broken, so set up some boundaries in your relationship. And I want you to hear this clearly. If you're a person who's hurt someone and you've thought this or you've said this to them, well, you're just supposed to forgive me. Or you said you forgive me. You should not expect to immediately be trusted again. That is an unrealistic expectation. And you should not expect for things to instantly go back to the way they used to be. That is not a fair or realistic expectation. If you're the person who hurt someone... Trust has been broken, and that's what we talked about in that series, that trust takes a long time to build, but it goes away in an instant, and it takes even longer to rebuild. As I talk about this reconciliation, it's kind of a confusing topic. I think sometimes it's because it's not black and white. Even in the text we just read, Jesus doesn't really give us a lot of steps of how to do it. He just says, go do it. And there seems to be different degrees of it. And, and like, well, we gotta be, there's got to be some caution and there's got to be some boundaries. And so here's the deal. There can be some confusion with it. And maybe each and every single relationship has to be taken to the Holy Spirit. Each and every reconciliation has to be taken to the Scriptures. Each and every situation has to be taken and looked at individually. They can't all be exactly the same. But we don't get off the hook and say, well, I just don't have to do that because that person, whatever, fill in the blank. Some of you, as we talked about reconciliation today, as I mentioned that word, some of you, you are visiting from out of town. There's a bunch of you, actually, you, don't, you may not know this, there's a bunch of you here that are visiting, maybe half of you, okay? And, and we're a tiny little church. So you guys are all here from Texas and we're glad you're here and we're thankful you're here. And some of you from Texas, you're on vacation, you're like... What in the world has this guy been, this guy been spying on my, my bedroom or spying at our house, you know, on me and my phone conversations with my kids, you know? What's going on? Well, here's the deal. Some of you today that are here, you are ready to reconcile right now. You want to reconcile. Some of you are at that place in your life. And I want to tell you, I'm going to try to give you some very specific suggestions today some very specific steps today to help you if you're ready to reconcile some of you are not ready to reconcile i'm going to talk to you at the end okay we're going to have a little conversation at the end but here's the deal some of you are, you're ready you want to reconcile and i'm going to give you some suggestions right here and, and so we'll just start right here steps toward reconciliation the first thing is this admit what you did was wrong or hurtful and i'm talking if you're the one who hurt somebody 
admit what you did was wrong or hurtful. Sometimes one of the things that stops us from reconciling is, is we're like, I wasn't wrong. I was right. I am right. I, and you don't say it out loud, but you're thinking I'm always right, you know, because I am. Okay. And I was not wrong. I'm not going to go apologize. I was right. Well, you know what? So what? Who cares if you were right? You hurt that person. Admit either what I did was, I have to tell you what I did was wrong. Okay? Or, or admit what I did, I know it hurt you. I'm admitting that. And, and the way we do that is through the words of that scripture in Matthew 25. Jesus said, whatever you're doing right now, stop doing that. And it's a little two-letter word that almost nobody obeys. Go. Go. Nobody wants to do that. Everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to sit back and hope that maybe it'll work out. Time will heal it. Maybe they'll show up on my doorstep and ring the doorbell. The Bible says go. It takes some action. And to say those words, I was wrong, or to say those words, I know I hurt you, those are powerful words, but you have to go in order to say them. Number two, take responsibility for your actions and make restitution if possible. Stop making excuses. Just quit it, okay? Don't make any more excuses. If you did something wrong, just own up to it. I did that. And then try, if possible, to make restitution. Zacchaeus is a great illustration from the Bible. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors are the slime of the earth, right? I mean, they stole from people. That's what they did. They stole money. They got extra money that belonged to me, and they took it, and they put it in their pockets, and they went and bought a bigger house and a bigger chariot and, you know, a nicer whatever they, you know, their little outfits they wore. I don't know, whatever, okay? They, and they went and got a new clock or something. I, whatever it is they wanted, they got the nicest stuff. And it used to be my money, but they stole it from me. And Zacchaeus admits that. He says, when Jesus came to his house, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to go pay back even more than what. So maybe you stole something from somebody. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe you didn't mean to, but somebody lost some money and you know you hurt them. And so if you can make restitution, let me tell you, that's a powerful thing. I have a brother in Christ who told me, I know this, I know this story that there's a another brother in Christ who stole some money from him. And he's had a hard time forgiving that, but he's worked on that. You know what he told me just a few months ago? He got an envelope in the mail with a check from that brother saying this is the first of monthly installments to pay back what I took from you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That is powerful. Restitution is powerful. Some of you need to make restitution. Maybe it's not money. You can't make restitution for... I mean, maybe it's something instead of that. You, you, it's something that you said. You gossiped about somebody. You slandered somebody's name. And you can't go catch all the gossip that's out there when you say something that you shouldn't say. That's not possible. But to make restitution, you could go back to at least the two or three people you did talk to and you could say, you know what? I, I, I said something and I shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry I said that. And tell the person, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that behind your back. That's restitution. Some things you can't make any restitution for because there's no money and there's no words. You just broke somebody's heart into a million pieces and you can't fix that. You can't give restitution for that. But at least you can change your future 
behavior. Maybe it's through counseling or, or maybe it's through giving up some relationship or a friendship or you, you figure it out. It's your life. You're the one who screwed up, not me. I'm up here trying to give you the ideas. You figure out what it is that you need to do to make restitution with that person and go make restitution. But here's the thing. It's got to be an action, not just words, not just words. You got to have an action involved in this. And the third thing is this. Ask for forgiveness. Vicky's not here, Vicky Cordova, but I have to just thank her on behalf of Amy and I for years ago. And I know I've probably told you guys this before, but it's worth saying again. And that is, we don't, we, we try not to just say I'm sorry to each other. Sometimes we do. But if you, if you hurt somebody's feelings or you do something you shouldn't and then you say I'm sorry, the other person almost always says, oh, it's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. And it shouldn't be said that it's okay. Vicki taught Amy and I this years ago. When we've hurt each other, we need to say, please forgive me. Now, I don't always do a good job of this, okay? I'm here to admit, and you can ask Amy to check on this, okay? She'll let you know that I don't always do a good job of this. But I'm working on it. I'm trying. Please forgive me. And, I'm tr- and then the other person, okay, I forgive you. Or I'm trying to forgive you, okay? I'm doing the best I can. Forgive me for not forgiving you yet. I'm doing... So forgiveness is powerful to ask those words, to say those words, please forgive me. But what if it's the other side of reconciliation? The other side, what if you are the one who got hurt? Well, you don't get a pass on this either. You don't get to sit at your house in your high and mighty castle and wait for that slime ball to come to your house and apologize. You don't get to do that. Not that anybody ever would. I just made that up, you know. Uh, But here's the deal. Acknowledge your pain and your anger. Acknowledge it. And do it by speaking to that person. That's so true. So often that Matthew 5 says, if you remember someone has something against you, then go. And I've heard people split hairs over that and say, well, that person needs to remember I have something against them and they need to come to me. And that misses the whole point of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. I I really appreciate what John Harrell said when he was up here, when he read Psalm 133. Because I agree with him, we have so much more to do than spend our energy fighting with each other. There is so much good in this world to do. And I, I'm amazed at the amount of energy that gets spent because people will not reconcile. And so there's counseling and there's listening and there's prayers and there's mental energy and there's telling this person and then that person carries it around and then they don't have time to go do something good because they're telling someone else. And then, like John said, all of a sudden, then you got a church split. And the devil is going, woo, yes. Because two people wouldn't go. Imagine if all that energy in the church could go straight towards serving and spreading the gospel and changing the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow! What could the bride do? Two, give up your rights to get even. But set temporary boundaries in order to have time to rebuild trust. These boundaries that I'm mentioning, and you have to figure them out for yourself, but they're not in order to make somebody pay. 
Oh, no, you're not coming over here again. No, 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 because you are a sorry, no good. No, that's not what it is. It's God is doing something good in your life. He started a work. And, and it's not, I mean, I mean, you need to protect that. You need to protect what God is doing inside of you. And so, so I'm encouraging you to set those, set those boundaries, but give God time. See if the action is included with the words from the other person. And don't just be looking for them to mess up. I can't tell you how many times I've done this myself. And then I've seen other people do it. And that is there's something between me and another person. And then that person says, well, I'm going to change and I'm going to do this. And 99 times they do, they do it. They, they're, they're like, man, they're changing and they're, they're treating me well or whatever. They're not, they're not doing the thing they were doing. And then one out of 100, they do that again. And I'm like, aha! I knew it. That is not giving God. I mean, that's just slapping God in the face for the work he's doing in that person's life. Let go of blame, resentment, and negativity. See, this is the danger in Matthew 5. If you don't deal with this quickly, you're going to end up with a hard heart. You're going to end up swimming around in the poison of resentment. You're going to end up in a prison and you're going to find out the prison is the one you made because you wouldn't obey God. Communicate your act of forgiveness. Now, I don't think this always has to be words. I think sometimes if we say to somebody, oh, by the way, I forgive you for what you did. We're not really forgiving them. We're reminding them of what they did. Okay? And I think there's a great example of Jesus. Think about Jesus and Peter. Did Peter hurt Jesus? Yeah, pretty bad. What a great story. Peter's out fishing, and what's Jesus doing? He's making breakfast for Peter on the shore. And if you go read that, I think it's in John 21 or 22. You go read that story, and you know what you find out there? Jesus never says, by the way, Peter, I forgive you. He didn't have to say the words. He showed him by making breakfast for him. And so maybe for you, it, you can show somebody it doesn't mean that everything's back to normal, but you can show someone I'm stepping towards you by inviting them for lunch or, or grabbing a cup of coffee with them. Or if you see them at a gas station, you could pull in to get gas, even if you don't need gas. And while you're there, hey, how's it going? Give them a wave. Give them a handshake. Communicate your act of forgiveness. And then finally, give God some time to work. I think that's one of the reasons Matthew 5 is so vague. I've had people ask me before, well, you're saying go, go talk to this person, but how's that going to work out? And I'm like, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Well, what if it messes it up? I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, wh you know, what if, what if it just makes things worse? I don't know. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible tells us to do. Go to the person you're upset with. Go to the person that's hurt you. Go to the person that you've hurt. And I think it's vague on purpose because every single situation is different and every single situation takes faith in God. Now, here's, here's one other way to look at it. I got, I got another, one more picture for you, okay, this morning, and I kind of hid it down here underneath this. I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I don't mean to make you too uncomfortable. Hi, I'm John. Hey, Brandy, good to meet you. Okay, um, it's sort of like this. It's like if uh, somebody... Somebody comes and they just drop their trash in your yard, in your life, and it stinks, and it's sorry, and it's no good, and they got a pile of it over there. Well, let me tell you what 
Let me tell you what we got that most of the time that happens is we get revenge or we get a grudge. And that is, oh, yeah, you got your trash. Well, how about my trash? I'll throw some of my trash on you over there. A lot of us do that. As soon as somebody drops trash on me or some people aren't that way. Some people are less confrontational. They don't throw any trash. They just start to build a wall. Fine. That's fine. Click, 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 click. They start to get some mortar out and bricks. Click, 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 click. And they build this bridge. And I'll just never have anything to do with you again. Not allowed in my life. That's holding a grudge. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a one-player game. Remember? Okay? Forgiveness is saying, you know what? I'm going to come get my trash off of your yard. And I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry about that. And I'm going to, I'm going to get this wall knocked down. Clack, clack, clack. I'm going to knock this wall down. And then I'm going to come back over here. Now I've forgiven this person. That's forgiveness. Reconciliation involves that person deciding they're going to get their trash off my yard. I can't do that. That's their decision. And boundaries, even if they pick that trash up, some boundaries. The door's open. Okay, the door's open, but maybe not all the way into my living room. Maybe not all the way into the kitchen. But the door's open and we can step out on the porch and we can have a conversation. Okay? We can start right there and some boundaries are there and let's rebuild some trust. And then maybe, maybe we can move closer and things can improve and get back to where they were. Think about this verse in Romans 12. In relation, in relation to what we're talking about. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Let me stop there for a minute. I think a lot of times, I mentioned this a minute ago, I think a lot of times we get this pride thing like, I would never do something like what that person did to me, ever. And I'm not going to have anything to do with a person who would do something like that. Someone so low. See, there's this pride. The devil's like, sweet. Yes, keep it going. Fan the flame. Yeah, you're better than that person. You are. You're so much better. That person is evil and you're good. There needs to be humility. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Boy, there's a couple of things there that are so important. Those words, if it is possible, means that there may be relationships. There probably are. That it's not possible to reconcile. But I'm not letting you off the hook to find a loophole or to get out of it. Because the next words say, as far as... As it depends on you. Not as far as it depends on the other person and what they did. That sorry guy who embezzled money from me. That, you know, that lady who cheated on me. That man who... No, not as far as them, but as far as you. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, I, as I was 
just as I've been reading the Bible and as I was growing up and stuff, we used to read this even when I was in high school, and we loved this because we loved the opportunity to heap coals on someone's head, to hurt somebody who had hurt us, to just set them on fire. I'm so glad this is in the Bible. This is great. And it misses the whole point of what, what God's talking about here. God is saying, God's saying this, good is more powerful than evil. See, I don't think we think that sometimes. I was teaching the teens up there, and I just gave them this little illustration. I think sometimes we think evil is more powerful than good. You know, like, Luke, I am your father. You know, you like choke somebody from far away, and, you know, you got a Death Star. I mean, the evil, if you get this Star Wars, just in case you didn't know what I was talking about, okay? I mean, well, you know, Luke, little Luke Skywalker, what's he got? He's got a dumb little lightsaber, you know, what's he going to do? He's, he can't do anything. And I think we get this idea that evil is stronger than good. And the Bible says, no, good has the muscles. Good has the power. And you keep walking in good and you find creative ways to bless your enemy. And good will overcome evil. I don't think we believe that. I really don't. But I'm going to preach it. I'm going to try to live it in my life. Because I think it's true. Well, I hope if you are ready to reconcile, you heard something that helped you today. And now I want to talk as we finish today to those of you who are not ready to reconcile. You're like, no way. I'm not, I don't care. I don't care what we're talking about. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. Okay? If that's you and you're like, I am not going to reconcile. I, and maybe you're like, that, that's, that's, that was kind of harsh for me to say that. Sorry. Maybe it's more like, I wish I could reconcile. I wish I had a heart to want to reconcile, but I don't. Well, here's a little bit of motivation. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph had 11 brothers. I guess he ends up having, does he have 12 eventually? I don't know. Anyways, he has a bunch of brothers. So Joseph has all these brothers. And let me tell you, these brothers, they treat him horrible. You go read the story, Genesis 37 through 50. They do things worse to him. And I want to be careful because I don't want to make light of your pain. But I think they do things worse to him than anything that's ever been done to you. At least they do things equally as evil to him as anything that's ever been done to you. Now, if I'm wrong, come tell me about it, okay? But I'm telling you, this horrible what they do to their brother. And at the end of the story, he's now the top dog in Egypt, and they're now under him, and their father Jacob dies. And this is what happens in Genesis 50. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers were frightened. Now Joseph is going to pay us back for all the evil we did to him, they said. So they sent him a message. Before he died, your father instructed us to tell you to forgive us for the great evil we did to you. We servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive us. And when Joseph read the message, he broke down and cried. Now, I I think there probably could be a lot of reasons why he cried. But I'm going to say at least one of them is this, that he had already forgiven them. He had already forgiven them, and they just didn't get it. They didn't believe it. They couldn't believe he would forgive them. 
And then his brothers came and they fell down and they said, we are your slaves. And then Joseph gives us three reasons to reconcile. And here they are. Maybe this will help you today. Verse 19, Joseph told them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? Verse 19, am I God to judge and punish you? The first thing that Joseph did is he said, I am not going to sit in God's chair. This is God's chair right here. And I'm not going to sit there. I can't sit there. Why can't we sit in God's chair? Well, first of all, because we're not God. That's a good start, okay? But we can't sit in God's chair because you don't know everything about that person that hurt you. You don't know everything that's led them to the place where they are today. You may think you do, but I'm here to tell you, you do not. You do not know everything that has led that person to where they are and what would cause them to do what they did And so the first thing, if you don't want to reconcile, that you need to do is you need to ask God, God, I want to pray that you would help me to get out of your chair. That's number one. That's verse 19. Verse 20, Joseph says, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. For he brought me to this high position I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. Not only do you need to get out of God's chair, but you need to get God's view. See, when we get hurt, we're down in the valley. And all we can see is our pain and the hurt and the place we're at and how hard it is and how awful it is. We need to get God's view, which is this. Whatever hurt you're feeling, whatever pain you're experiencing, whatever wrong has happened to you, God will use it for good. He will do that. Joseph is saying to his brothers, you wanted to sink me, you wanted to kill me, you wanted to get rid of me, but you can't. Because God is for me. And how much more is that true of you if it is of Joseph? Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Nobody. So whatever it is that's happened to you, I'm telling you, this won't be the end of you. This won't be the end of your life. This won't be the end of your joy. And the reason that's true is because your life and your joy are in Christ Jesus. He is your all in all. And finally this, verse 21. He says, no, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. And he spoke very kindly to them, reassuring them. Joseph reflected to his brothers the love that he had received from God. And you and I can do the same thing. You may say, well, look, that's Joseph. I mean, come on. I can't do exactly what Joseph did. I mean, he's the father of our faith. I can't do exactly what he did. And God agrees with you. You cannot do exactly what Joseph did. You can do better. Better? I can do better than Joseph? Yes, you can. Why would you say that? Well, here's the reason, because Matthew 11 says, Jesus' words, I tell you the truth, among those born of woman, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, who is John the Baptist. No one before John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the greatest. That means David and Abraham and Moses and Joseph. None of them are, none of them are as as good as John the Baptist. And then he says, and yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven 
that's us, is greater than John the Baptist. How in the world can that be possible? I'll tell you the reason. Because you know the gospel. You know the gospel. That's where the power is. You've experienced God's reconciliation. You've experienced what I'm about to show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 right here. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're not even yourself anymore. You're a brand new creation. That's why you can be greater than John the Baptist, greater than Joseph. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You're the bride. You're part of the process of people out there who don't know Christ being invited into the wedding. More is at stake than just your life, than just your feelings, than just your wants, than just the way you want to live out your life. There are people around you who are trying to decide if they're going to believe in the message of Jesus Christ and their eternity depends on their decision. And your actions towards your brothers and sisters, well, it matters. It matters a lot. See, God removed the trash that you threw in his yard. And how did he do that? He told Jesus, go. And Jesus did. And he died on the cross. And he got rid of the trash that was in God's yard. He, he made it possible for us to get to God. He removed the obstacle. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation and what a great privilege to come along beside God and invite people to accept his offer. But I'm going to tell you this. They're probably not going to. They're probably not going to want to have much to do with what we offer if we're not being reconciled to each other. If we're treating each other the way these brides would. But boy, if they see the bride of Christ setting down our dirty laundry humbly willing to set aside the axes we have to grind, putting aside our machine guns of hate, if they see the bride of Christ carrying the flowers of reconciliation, then I want to tell you this. They're likely to listen to the message of reconciliation with God because they're going to see something that's good and beautiful. And I thought maybe today some of you might need to lay down some stinky laundry. I thought some of you might need to throw some axes off on the floor today. And you might need to leave from here. You might need to get up and go and do what the Bible says right now. Right this second. Stop being here in this worship service and go find that person. And begin to reconcile. But if you need our help through prayer... We want to be available to do that. We want to pray with you. If that can give you strength, and I believe it can. If you've never accepted this gift, 
that Christ offers of reconciliation. The groom invites you to be a part of the bride today. Come as we stand and as we sing. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in My sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all and all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all and all. Jesus, Lamb of 